I need everyone to know that Dylan complained earlier that he's having to do this show instead of spending time with his daughter, and then he chose to spend two minutes talking about that instead of spending time with his daughter. California. Keeping up with the Coens, an OC Rewatch podcast. Shalom, everyone, and welcome back to Keeping Up with the Coens, America's number one Dylan Irwin podcast. Oh, my name <laughs> is Ryan Drake, and I'm, of course, joined by my favorite co-host in the world, Chelsea Trinidad. Hello, Chelsea. Oh, hello. It's so good to see you guys. Chelsea's been let off the hook for her fuck up last week in lieu of Dylan's fuck up this week. Uh, Dylan, <laughs> welcome back. Welcome to our show. Oy vey, I left my computer at my office, so I am recording from my office. I've only done this once before, but you know what? Uh, much like this series does, I wanted to bring back some classic moments from season one um, <laughs> to really relive them and appreciate how far we've come. But yes, hello, Ryan. It's me, Dylan Irwin. Um, the center of this podcast. Hey, your office views are kind of nice. Thank you so much. That's a uh, um, green screen. I actually work in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like last time I'm not. I'm not just saying that. I feel like last time you record from your office, there was problems with your audio. But we'll see how that goes. I'm in a different office now. Oh yeah, I forgot Dylan got a promotion. Heck yeah. Yeah, man. Dylan's a partner now. Dylan's mm. big time. Yeehaw, partner. I had a sick Dylan on some crazy customers today. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> it's I will say, okay, if, if anyone has to have legal work done, it, th- there can be a joy derived from it because you're like, someone is standing up for me. Thank goodness. Finally, someone sees it my way. And no one stands up for you quite like Dylan Irwin. So give me a call for all your legal needs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't do it, please. The fact that you, the fact that we're starting this episode thirty minutes late because you left your laptop at work tells me that that's not a good advertisement for you and your legal services. <laughs> touche, touche. Yeah, just letting everyone know we're going to be completely transparent here. Um, we have two more episodes of the OC to cover today of season four of the OC. Um, two things about these two episodes. First of all. So the last two weeks, we recorded the same two episodes twice because we had to re-record the episode. And the heavy lifting. And the heavy lifting. But even with that, yeah, too. do you realize that next week is our penultimate episode ever? That's insane. This journey I can't believe is it. coming to an end, guys. Thank God. Well, no, my, hus- my husband was like, oh, so you guys are going to do Entourage next. And I was like, we probably need like a pod break, just <laughs> considering Dylan and I have small infants. Um <laughs> I'm not editing more podcasts after two weeks from now. Absolutely not. <laughs> Ryan is done. Yeah, no, Ryan's this is like, it. Fuck this. I truly think that our impending doom is the reason why Chelsea and I keep screwing up in new and interesting ways, and Ryan refuses to edit. It's like his 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 rebellion is if I don't edit it, they won't come. It's like the, he's <laughs> yeah, he's doing the reverse field of dreams. He's doing the field of nightmares. Listen, if you want to kickstart an editor and some babysitters, maybe we can work it out. <laughs> yeah. Would, would it be Field of Nightmares or City of Nightmares? Oh, too Field of Nightmares would be great, actually. <laughs> the other thing that I was going to say. That sounds like a movie me, Dylan Chelsea. would be obsessed with. Yeah. <laughs> Coming this fall from A24, Field of Nightmares. It was just zombie baseball players. Okay. Uh, the only other thing, the other thing I was going to say about these two episodes was that I love season four. It's maybe my favorite season. I have recency bias. I don't know if I could choose between one and four right now, but. I did not love these episodes. This is like a low point of season four Ooh, for me. Chelsea and I loved them. Really? I thought they were fun. I thought they were kind of, okay. I I thought that they were so silly, 
but I, I was feeling it. I thought last week's episodes were better. It's so funny. You know, Che, it's like every single episode he comes, like he's on, you're like, oh, that was great. Like his run has gone a lot longer than I thought it would. And then he co- keeps coming back for another and keeps surprising you. I'm not into Che at all. I know I've said that a lot here. I'm just not into him. And I feel like this season is trying to do too much. We'll get into it as we go. Um, yeah. If you want to start, because See, this first episode has one major problem. It's like a, got a major glaring issue. Do you guys know what it is right off the top? No. And that's funny that you say that because I left these two episodes thinking like, after Luke, Che is probably the best side character that there's been. I, Taylor's core no. four. She's not a side character. He definitely beats like Oliver and Johnny, maybe, but like he's not better than Bullet. He's not better than Caitlin. I think he's better than Zach and Anna. Yeah, mm. I, I stand firm. I he's better like than Zach Jay. and Anna. I think. I mean, maybe this is not the right answer, but I think that the the two kind of glaring issues with both of these episodes has to deal. Both have to deal with Jay, and it's no. That's not the issue I'm, dealing, just, I'm talking about. Never mind. Then I'm done. Well, Done. I'm going to get into it. I'll tell you what the issue is right now if you guys want to start the start these episodes. Are you ready? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Well, let's start with episode 11, The Dream Lover. And the glaring issue in The Dream Lover is that Sandy Cohen is featured on screen for 90 seconds. Okay, I see oh, it now. Oh, yeah, I noticed that. That was weird. He had like one phone call and that was it. I he see He shows now. up on the beach with Ryan for a one minute scene. And then there's another 30 second scene with him talking to Kirsten on the phone later. And that's it. I got to tell you all something crazy about that, though. Um, on January 18th, 2007, 3.96 million people were suffering from Sandy Cohen blue balls, thanks to <laughs> Le- Layla Gerstein. So thanks a lot, lady. He does come back a little bit more in the next episode. He has like a storyline finally. But I was I kept wondering, like, does he even show up at all in this episode? And he finally did for that first one minute scene. And I was like, this is unbelievable. This I'm not here for the Sandy Cohen erasure, but all right. I'm going to give you uh, the quick the quick debrief, and then I've got my 10 questions that are not... Some of them are questions, some of them are not. We'll get into it. Brief Here my D. <laughs> I hate... That's disgusting. All right. <laughs> che and Seth take a trip to a forest where Che has a dream and discovers that a spirit might be in love with someone unexpected. Afterwards, Seth and Summer finally speak for the first time since she rejected his marriage proposal. Meanwhile, Taylor decides she can no longer associate with Ryan... Julie works her way back into Kirsten's life in the only way she knows how, and Caitlin shuts out Will. Um, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Sopranos, but this is, I feel like, their version of the Pine Barrens episode, which is like the most iconic episode of Sopranos. Oh, yeah. In my opinion. I can see this. this yeah. Is, yeah. I, I, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. So we, we have a cold open. It's Seth and Ryan. They're in the kitchen together. And Seth's saying, you know, is, you know, he's dealing with the summer thing. He, she rejected his proposal. Ryan's dealing with the fact that Taylor lied about him to Henri Michel. And we just, there's a lot happening in this episode. My first question, and it kind of goes back to what we said last week. And just a spoiler alert for the next episode when we get to it, there's a bit of a rejected proposal in that episode as well with the bullet and Julie. But they do it, they do it in a way that makes sense to me because they don't even really know each other that well. And so it's like, yeah, maybe we can grow into a thing, right? But in this episode, with specifically with Seth and Summer, I'm like, her rejecting his proposal is a breakup. Um, that's my question. Is a rejected proposal a breakup? But also, I feel like the plot has just been ramped up 10,000 miles an hour because suddenly Che is just appearing in Newport now randomly and Henri Michel is asking Taylor to move in with him in Newport. Like, he's moving to Newport. He's got a house and he wants Taylor to move in with him. I feel like there's a lot of information happening in that cold open. So there are a couple things. Um, 
some of which actually address your question. Um, but I think I have a theory now that you say that, that somehow with Ryan and Taylor going into this alternate timeline, they have somehow disrupted the timeline and caused all of this weird, awful stuff to happen. Um, specifically with Seth and Summer, my first note is actually about that. And it just says Seth and Summer still together confirmed because I remember I left that last episode and I think I made a big deal out of it in both the actual episode that you all have already listened to and the episode that you will never hear because it's gone. Um, that I wasn't sure if they were just not engaged anymore or if they were not engaged and not together, but it sounds to me like they're still together and just kind of being lame to one another. At least that's my understanding. Yeah, it's a weird passive aggressive kind of middle ground that I think all four, I'm obviously all four of them in. That's what happens with the whole cold open. But I do think it escalated a little bit too quickly. Like what, what do they mean Taylor moved in and is picking out furniture and stuff with this dude? Like I thought that was all a little That's too quick. fast. Um, it is her that, I mean, that's even, I mean, the deal is that's even out of character for her though. Like I think that they could have applied, um, I guess, like they could have expedited the problem in another way that was a little bit more believable. I just felt like a lot of stuff happened off screen that they're just giving to us. Like it's a lot, almost like exposition where they're like, oh yeah, by the way, Chase here. And by the way, Henri Michel's moving here and he's asking Taylor to move in with him. And it's like, we didn't see any of that, but we're just told that. Mm-hmm. Well, the weird thing specifically with Che is that the reason he was there is because he was getting weird Seth vibes. So they really, really leaned heavy, heavy, heavy into his I'm a spiritual aura type person because I mean, if I if I remember correctly, the reason why he's there is because he was feeling weird Seth vibes. And I guess based on the information we have in this episode, drove across the country in his van because of that. Mm-hmm. That's insane to me. We do see his van in the next episode. So that's it's for sure. Nice like, van. Also, we can't forget that Che's like a rich kid. Like that is never really brought up again outside of that one joke almost in, the, in that one episode where they were handcuffed to each other. Um, I just mm-hmm. think that's weird that they never really revisit that. Because <laughs> um, they don't, by the way. And I think after the episode, yeah. I think after the Groundhog's Day episode, he's gone. I think he's gone forever, finally. Anyway, let's move on. Question number two. We see Ryan. So the, the whole Ryan Taylor stuff in this episode is Ryan... And we'll get to, I'll get to their motivations in a little bit. But like Ryan is trying to talk to Taylor. He heard about Henri Michelle moving and then, and then maybe asking Taylor to move in with him. He goes to visit Taylor at Henri's like hotel room. He brings her like a bear. It's a whole thing. My question here is, do we like Henri Michelle? Because I kind of do. And I kind of feel like he's very respectful to Ryan. Like he's super nice to him. Um, he's kind of funny. And I thought that line about him, like, are you coming to fight me? I'm a bleeder. I thought that was really funny. Oh, he was like, I'm a hemophiliac. <laughs> yeah. But like, he's very upfront to Taylor about his feelings, about what he wants. And that's what Taylor wants. As she says in the next episode, is a guy who wants her and tells her that, that he wants her. Um, he's not as up and down or hot and cold as Ryan. I just feel like Henri Michelle might just be a good option for Taylor over Ryan. I like Henri Michelle because he fights fair. I, it's, it's not like, you know, in the past... Because Ryan is always fighting with other men for the affection of one specific person. I feel like no one else really fought fair. It's all about subterfuge and stuff like that. But I mean, with Henri Michel, even like, I'm thinking specifically of the scene that kind of comes at the very end with the, with the love poetry. Even Henri Michel's like, no, let's give him this chance. Let's fight this out. Let's, ma- let's make this fair. Um, the one thing that, that, you, that you mentioned that bears repeating, no pun intended, is we see the return mm-hmm. 
of the little bear used to woo a a woman uh, that Luke threw our way in the first season. Oh my god! I'm so Luke glad did have that little bear. I'm so glad because my I, I, I remember listeners. If you don't remember, at one point when Luke and Marissa were still together i think he tried to forgive her like sorry for cheating on you and like he pulled out from behind his massive lats like a tiny bear and it worked because the bear still shows up in marissa's bedroom the one that she has in in jimmy's house and tate's house not her actual bedroom outside but i love seeing the return of little bear um canonically i like to think it's the same bear somehow I forgot. I completely forgot about that. I didn't even consider that. I do remember Luke. I think it was after he got shot, right? Like, after he got shot. Oh, yeah. Here's my gunshot wound, Bear. (laughs) Yeah. Chelsea, do you feel like Henri could actually maybe be a good option for Taylor? Yeah. I mean, he's definitely more emotionally mature than Ryan. And Taylor has been expressive that that's kind of what she wants. Um, She's always kind of lived very... um, a, a loquaci- loquaciously how do you say that word um ding <laughs> now i i know now i'm like Henri michelle i'm like oh do you say <laughs> <laughs> oh you say um i at the end of this you know obviously the whole episode last week was about how they connect on like a more intellectual level and that sort of thing but as far as um exes go or like other options especially for kind of comparing him and che against uh their you know counterparts i mean it wouldn't be the worst to end up with Henri Michel. He's a rich dude. He's an author. That's kind of cool. All right. So I'm going to move on to question three. There is a subplot here with Julie and Kirsten that I actually really like. Julie's trying to win Kirsten's friendship back by... First of all, she's trying to win her friendship back because Kirsten straight up like won't talk to her. She calls and Kirsten hangs up on her. And so the, the first question here that I want to ask about this is... I don't even need you to rank these things. I, I wrote the question as rank them, but you don't even have to rank them. Just just like acknowledge the fact that Julie has done all of these things over the course of this show. Julie pinned a shooting on Ryan. Whenever Marissa shot Trey, Julie tried to pin that on Ryan. Julie sent Ryan on a murder mission to Mexico. She literally get, like told him to go kill Volchak. Like go murder someone and li- with presumably ruin your entire future julie married kirsten's dad and then came inches away from murdering him by spiking his drink julie was in on a scam to scam kirsten out of hundreds of thousands of dollars under the guise of a substance abuse fundraiser (laughs) and julie has turned a new match into like whatever a prostitution ring who that to me kirsten's anger at julie over this particular thing is so bizarre because she was fine with like most of the, all the other stuff, but with this prostitution ring, she's like, "Fuck you!" Hanging up the phone. I thought that was just strange. That were far more egregious. It's weird. Well, clearly, you all don't believe that. You know, fool me five times, shame on you. Is is what the proverb says. So, hold on. That is that seriously five things. So it was the uh, murder yeah. mission. Pin he she pinned the murder on Ryan. She almost mm-hmm. murdered Caleb. She scammed Kirsten. Now she's. T- and also, she pinned a shooting on Ryan, but she tried to send him on a murder mission. Those are two different this is, things. This is easily, this is easily the least egregious of those five things. I easily. agree. And yeah. like, I think, I don't even remember how the murder mission resolved itself with Julie and Kirsten. Like, I don't think it did. Like, we remember Sandy forgiving Julie and letting her into Thanksgiving dinner. But like, I don't think Kirsten even gave a shit. She was just like, whatever. Like, Julie's here. We're friends. You know what I, I, I think- mean? 
I think Kirst- yeah. Kirsten seems like she's treating Julie kind of like the Academy treated the Lord of the Rings movies, where they just were like, by the time the third movie came around, they just gave it all the Oscars because they're just like, fine, good job. It's like, she's like, you did all this stuff. I- I'm over it. Just go away. I don't care if this isn't that bad. I'm over you. That's fine. Well, the other thing is she kind of had cover because the guy who swooped in and saved them financially, it was his son who kind of started all of this. So I don't know, maybe maybe Julie's above pinning things on other people, but it kind of seems like she could be like, sorry, I kind of thought that they were all in cahoots. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a lot of lying that could have been done to save the situation and save us a lot of time. But I will say the plan that Julie came up with is to have um, Spencer, the bullet, bullet son. Baby um, bullet. <laughs> the plan was to have him tell Kirsten that one of the male gigolos, prostitutes, whatever, has uh, syphilis. But like, it's kind of, it was pretty good like story writing, the way they set that up, where she's like, well, I don't want to do it. And, you know, Spencer lied about being in Mexico and Julie doesn't work for the company. So now I have to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to get Julie to do it. And that's exactly what Julie wanted. She got to be near and with Kirsten. Julie knows that her, that her charming personality can win over anyone, including Kirsten in the situation. Um, turns out mm-hmm. there was no syphilis at all. It was just a, a con to get them close to each other. And at the end of the episode... That old thing. At the end of the episode, in one of Sandy Cohen's only scenes, Kirsten's talking to him on the phone, and she acknowledges that like Julie is her best, the closest thing to a best friend she has. And at this point, I don't know if Kirsten has any other friends besides Julie. So, I don't know. I love their relationship, but I loved that writing. I loved the story of the syphilis plan. I thought that was actually pretty brilliant um, on Julie's part. That's, mm-hmm. I feel like that's almost the episode title. The syphilis plan. I'm just <laughs> I'm just a kid and sex is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> syphilis. I'm just syphilic um, and, and sex is a nightmare. Okay, I'm going to move on. Um, question number four or plot point number four, whatever we want to call this. Ryan is randomly pulling up to the house. I, I don't even know whose house it is anymore. Julie's house, uh, Neil's house, Summer's house. I don't know. Oh, house yeah. House. Yeah. He randomly just is going to this house, I guess, to see Taylor. And he sees Caitlin going full Tony Hawk in the driveway. I love that. Caitlin skateboarding for like half a second was really great. <laughs> um, she gives good advice to Ryan. She tells him that he needs a gift to give to Taylor, which is the bear that we later see that Dylan referenced earlier um and i feel like this is the second time now this season we've seen caitlin give really good advice and don't forget a couple weeks ago she gave really good advice to taylor um when she told her to just go look hot wear a dress and stand in front of ryan and he'll like fall in love with you and it basically worked and she gives ryan really good advice here about taylor and Henri michelle and i can't decide if caitlin is secretly the most or least well-balanced character on the show because She's very capable of giving these this good advice and being mature, but then she also constantly sabotages herself, which I guess is t- kind of a typical teenager thing. We meet Lucy in this episode. Lucy is like <laughs> another band geek, quote unquote band geek, that uh, I guess Caitlin's boyfriend, uh, <laughs> Will Tut, is like hanging out with just his friends. And she confronts Caitlin at one point and basically says, like, you turn everyone into, like, a shittier version of themselves to kind of bring them down to your level, I think, is what she was trying to get at. And then Caitlin and Will, like, awkwardly break up. Dylan, I know you brought this up in the group chat earlier. Awkwardly break up, like, on the sidewalk <laughs> where she's just, out of, just like, out of nowhere. She's just like, you know what? This isn't working. He's like, all right, bye. And then he leaves and we never see him again. And I just felt like that whole storyline was bizarre kind of like it's been three episodes now of um chris brown and he's now he's gone and there was no point to it there was no point to it at all he didn't just leave he didn't just leave i think she says something like well why well can we still be friends or can i see you again he goes nah i'll see you around 
Nah. And then he leaves. He literally, it's like that meme where that kid just disappears more every frame. He just goes, nah. nah. Those, and I guess, kind of like you said, those are his last lines on this show is nah. nah. I laughed so much at that. Well, I just, you would expect her to learn a lesson or for it to further a plot line or something. And we didn't really <laughs> nah. get any of that with it. Yeah. Like, it was just kind of pointless. I don't know. It's three entire episodes of Chris Brown and Willa Holland. And yeah, there was really no point to it. I do think that she's capable of having these other really great scenes with like Ryan and Taylor. I can't decide if she's well written from the perspective that she's a teenager that is smart, but fucks up a lot because that's what teenagers do. Or if they just are bad writers and that's how they wrote it poorly. Are we going to talk more about the band group later or can I, I say really? No, <laughs> yeah, you can say whatever you want. Okay. I want to, I want to tell you that one, I freaking love the band girls who like gang up on Caitlin they might be some of my favorite characters in season four. Um, but two, why do they have these band people carrying their instruments around like outside of cases and stuff like that? Like at one point we see um, we see what's her name, the, the main gal, Lucy, um, Lucy with her. It's like an oboe. I it's think a clarinet. It's a, a clarinet. clarinet. I was I wasn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't in band. I was cool. Get a writer. Pay the price. Um, but carrying <laughs> around her clarinet. And then randomly, we see two other band people. One of them is carrying a tuba. I knew that one. Um, I, I just don't understand why it's like they want to accentuate the fact they're in band by making them hold their instruments. Like I was in orchestra for a little bit, but I carried my viola around in a little case. I don't know what the deal with that is. Like Ryan, do you know what's the band situation? Here? Well, I was just going to say I was in band for four years of high school and I did everything I could to never carry my instrument around unless I absolutely yeah. had to. <laughs> Wait, okay, I want to ask you a question that, and I might edit this out if it steps, if it's stepping too much on your episode, Dylan, but see, if we're going back to Caitlin and kind of her life and the people she's had in her life, if this is, if this is a question you're going to ask in the next episode, I'll edit this out. And if it's not, you should have asked this question. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> who do we think is like a better male influence in Caitlin's life? Was it Tate or Bullet? I think it's Bullet. Yeah, 100% Bullet. Um, I mean, did we even see one scene with Jimmy and Caitlin really interacting? No. He never... He Once she comes on the show, he's never on the show again. We, we Hold on. Yeah. We also don't know... I mean, interacting with, with Caitlin when she's younger and interacting when she's older, it's kind of two different types of interactions. And so we don't necessarily know... One, what young Caitlin would need from a father figure. And well, I'm, two, just, I'm, I'm just trying to say that, like, in the next episode, we, we see her talking about how Bullet would be a good stepdad. And I was like, uh-huh. so basically he's replacing Tate in that role, essentially. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I wonder who would be a better, like, dad to Caitlin or who would have been a better dad to Caitlin her whole life, whether it's Tate. Because Tate had some positive qualities. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough because... You know, I feel like Tate would have been a great father, but the issue is all the things that made him a not great father are things that pretty much made him leave and like forced him to leave. So the Tate that we get in the show, I don't think would have been a good father to her because the Tate that we get in the show is so wrapped up in, you know, crime and and being flighty and everything like that. I guess pre like around the time China had alopecia. Maybe he was a good dad. I, I don't know. It's just it's so hard to tell because you have to speculate so much. I feel like it's it's unfair to Tate, even though I did say that Bullet would be a better dad. It's unfair to Tate because we see like one on one how they interact with each other. 
and they're they have really good chemistry. And I think at one point in this episode, um, there's a line from Bullet where he says, "I can't believe I'm taking advice from a 15 year old," which is hilarious to me because that's how old everyone in this show was, arguably in the first season. Um, but it's it's just. I feel like it's a little bit unfair to Tate, but I still think on the whole bullet would be the better father figure. But yeah. What you just said is actually just another example of Caitlin giving good advice to older people on the show. And also I just love fanficking like what the show would be like bullet plus other characters from the past, like Caleb bullet or and Luke. Tate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Since bullet kind of screwed up, went to jail, served his time and he's out. He's almost like Tate 2.0. Like if Tate would have just not been, a tool and left and shirked his responsibilities and done all this and done all that. I mean, are, do you think that we're supposed to to think that when we meet bullet? I don't know, but what I just had in my, what I just realized in my head is last week we talked about the similarities between Caleb and bullet, but I feel like we could expand that out to like bullet went to jail for financial crimes. Caleb went to jail for financial crimes. Jimmy should mm-hmm. have gone to jail Frank also went to jail. Like Julie, maybe that's Julie's type. Which makes Oh my god, I would have never put that together, but you're right. And I mean that 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 makes honestly, that makes her whole weird thing about Ryan and her calling Ryan a convict and everything in season 1 and honestly in season 2 <laughs> as well even more interesting. Wow. She clearly it's it's like she doesn't care if someone has Ryan's attributes if she's dating them. Man, Julie's a complex character. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think they wrote it that way at all. I think we just stumbled upon an incredible accident, but good for the writers. We did. Good so Marissa's us. a lot more like her mom than she thought she was. Mac and cheese. Great point. Prison <laughs> mac and cheese. Well, and they both experimented with same-sex relationships. Very interesting. All right. So we're, I'm going to, we derailed that from this episode, but that was good. That's some, <laughs> we, we've really uncovered something here. You're never going to find that on Keeping Up With, or whatever it's called, not in our podcast, on Welcome You're to the You're never going to find that on Keeping Up With the Coens. That's right. <laughs> no. Okay. Next question. This is even, this is not a question. This is literally just a thing that I wrote. This is about Seth and Shay going to the woods together, having a, a weird sweat lodge. It starts with Seth rejecting Summer's date. She plans a very nice date of video games and Thai food and like shitty music that he loves that I love. And um, it's very romantic and sweet. And he just like straight up rejects it. He goes to Che for help recovering his like masculinity. And so Che takes him to the woods and he leaves a note for Summer to let her, to let her know what's going on. And first of all, Che has incredible handwriting. It's so good. I mean, it's yeah. it's very good. So Seth asks for his help. Che takes him out to the woods. Seth just complains the whole time, which drives me crazy. He, he literally asks you to help and then he just complains when you're helping. Um, at one point, I wrote Seth. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it. But at one point, Seth goes full Will Smith and just slaps Jay across the face. <laughs> the timeline of these scenes is really weird because it's like interwoven with the rest of the storylines where days have passed in the other storylines. But this is meant to be taking place over one like afternoon or evening. Yeah. Like, like it goes from that to like the next day and the other story, and then it goes back to like this current day and then it go, it's back and forth. But really, I don't really have any questions for this because I don't really care about this storyline. I think it's kind of stupid. <laughs> I thought this whole, like the whole thing with him going to the woods is like, like I said, it's like a Sopranos trope. It was, uh, there was one just like a, uh, an episode just like that on this last season of Love Life, which is a show on HBO I really like. Um, but like, this is such, just kind of a trope for me. I didn't really care for it. I don't like it. I didn't know if you guys had thoughts on it, but I don't really have any questions because I was ready to move past it. You're right. I'm- I mean, it's it's a common trope. Um, you know, you talked about uh, 
The Godfather, but they also do it in You this last season. Sorry about The Sopranos, not The Godfather. It's The Godfather (laughs) TV show. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm pregnant, okay? (laughs) My brain, my brain is turned into mush. It's the whole thing. Um... Uh, (laughs) but no in 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 this latest season of you um he and a neighbor go on like this weird man trip to the woods and the guy keeps being like oh we're just gonna be one with nature and they have kind of like a fight club thing and he thinks that he kills them but the guy is like a super adonis so he like falls off a cliff but is totally fine and then like a week later they suggest that they like have a wife swap or like all hook up together. It's it's a really really weird show. You should watch I it. I would love that's um, that's another storyline they lifted from the OC. <laughs> it's is swinging. You, <laughs> everything I've heard about you is that it's like this is us for pervs. This is you. Mm, not at all, actually. <laughs> this is you. There's also an episode of Barry where they go into the woods and some things happen. I'm not gonna spoil that. Um, but yeah, I don't really give a shit about Seth and Che going to the woods. This is maybe my least favorite. It feels like forever ago that we had Ryan and Volchek in Mexico and like Ryan was cage fighting, keen cage fight. Keen cage match. That feels like so long ago, even though it was literally like three or four weeks ago on this podcast. But like, I, this is maybe my lowest point of this of this season is this whole this whole situation. Y'all, I have something to add about those band girls. I swear to God, one of them is Kaylee Cuoco's younger sister. And I know that that is such a specific reference to bring up. That is. But I kept staring. She was just like staring. She was like mean mugging Caitlin the whole time. And I was like, that girl looks exactly like Kaylee Cuoco. Wait, so you don't know for sure? I thought you knew for sure. Like you found out that was her. You just think it could be her. Here, confirm it. Google no, it. Is no, it I, Little no, Bang no, Theory? <laughs> Next week on Chelsea Speculates. <laughs> <laughs> Kim trails. What are they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna move on. We're gonna move forward. There is. Uh, we're gonna go back to Ryan and, and Taylor and Summer a little bit. There's a great scene with Ryan and Summer in the kitchen of whosoever house we want to call that. This episode had two Ryan and Summer scenes, and we don't get a lot of those in this series. Um, this one was really good. Mm-hmm. Summer's basically telling him, you know, you need to be romantic. If you are this new, quote unquote, new Ryan since you've been with Taylor, you need to make some sort of romantic gesture, but you don't seem like the coffee cart type, which I thought was a nice callback to season one. Um, (laughs) It ends with her like pretending Mm -hmm. to choke him. And I don't know. It was good physical comedy by Ryan and Summer there. Saying his neck was big. So I almost called it Rachel Bills. And Summer tells Taylor (laughs) that this stupid gummy bear in the mugs of the, the teddy bear is probably the nicest gift that Ryan has ever given. And I'm just like wondering, do we think that Ryan has changed because one, he's gotten older and you just change as you get older. Two, because Taylor has changed him. Or three, because Marissa's death has changed him. And do we think that the old Ryan would would have beaten up Henri Michel? All of the above and yes. Yeah, totally. I also think living with the Coens had a good, uh, like influence on him he saw seth giving summer gifts he saw sandy giving kirsten gifts he was like oh this is what we do it's all those drugged bagels <laughs> making him docile so the other thing that i was gonna say about this and maybe this this is going against everything i stand for because i am a taylor townsend apologist she's my favorite character on the show but ryan is like trying to find her because he wants to apologize to her and i don't know if he needs to apologize to her. i don't think he really owes her an apology She's mad because he kind of said, I need some space after she was the one who lied. She was the one who, you know, did the thing that caused him to disappear because she lied uh, to Henri Michel about Ryan. 
she lied and she immediately moved on to this other guy after Ryan disappeared for like a week. I'm not sure if Ryan really owes her an apology. He doesn't. And I'm sure he does either. And I want to add something on top of that. One of my notes was that I understood kind of Ryan and Henri Michel's thing, like their kind of banter and their fight, if you will. But I didn't understand Taylor's enthusiasm for it. Not like I could see other characters in the show kind of having that that mood. It's like kind of big Julie energy, maybe even season one summer energy um, mm-hmm. where, you know, two two girls fighting over one guy, two guys fighting over one girl. But I was so convinced that Taylor was just in love with Ryan such that her kind of excitement almost of, well, prove it to me. He's making me a poem. What are you going to do? It just seems so out of character. And I think, I think you can criticize that without losing your cred as a Taylor Townsend apologist, because that's not Taylor Townsend. That's this, whoever this version of Taylor Townsend is, you know, that the, the Layla gave us in this episode. There's a version I have, I have. I have a question coming up that really kind of addresses how almost unfair it is that Taylor basically tells him, like, you need to be in love with me. So we'll get to that in a minute. All right. I'm just going to say 25 minutes into the episode, we finally get Sandy Cohen. And for, like I said, he's only in this episode for 90 seconds. And this scene of him and Ryan on the beach was pointless. There was absolutely no need for it. Sandy Broen. I mean, it's literally, it was shot in such a weird way. Dylan, what was the movie recently that was criticized for having too many like cutaways and like it was like one scene in the next and like the next face of the person talking and the next face of the person oh it was a superhero movie yeah i can't remember which one it was but it was like heavily criticized for being too edited basically and that's how this scene was it was just back and forth between oh, gosh, sandy yeah. and ryan's face because it kept cutting the fight scenes and it only lasted a minute and it was basically sandy saying you should do something and ryan's like okay but like, I literally think that this scene was written into the episode specifically to put Sandy on the screen because there was some sort of contractual obligation. And my main question here is, are we going overboard with season four? Is there's no bullet in this episode? There's no Frank in this episode. Not that I love Frank, but like he's become a part of the season. There hasn't been bullet in forever. Are we doing too much with Che and Seth? And are we doing too much with Will and Caitlin that's taking away from these other characters that deserve more screen time? Yes. The the other thing that I was kind of thinking was they, they just invested so much in Che that you would think that... I, I want to know exactly when in the season that they knew that this show wasn't going to continue on. So I actually have a relevant, a relevant comparison. And I, I truly mm-hmm. do feel this way about these episodes in particular. So... If you're a Beatles person, you know that even though the album Let It Be came out after Abbey Road, it was recorded before Abbey Road. That's what Get Back was all about. Um, And one of the reasons why Abbey Road was such a good album is because the Beatles knew, kind of like the cast of Seinfeld knew, and kind of like maybe at times the cast of The O.C. and the writers of The O.C. knew, this was their last hurrah. This is their last chance to throw Mm -hmm. it all out there. Let It Be is the Beatles who are just kind of sick of it. They're tired of it. They don't necessarily want to keep doing this. And so what you end up with is an album that feels disjointed as opposed to just a cohesive work like Abbey Road. I feel like these episodes in particular and maybe the Chris kind of pushing the Chris Brown storyline and pushing the Chase storyline to its breaking point, butter over too much bread. I feel like this is kind of the OC's let it be. Um, It's still fun. It's still the OC, but it's, it's not kind of all their energy going into the show before it ends. I don't think I knew that about the Beatles timeline. That makes sense. Um, All right, question number nine. We get the scene at the end of the episode where Henri Michel has written a love poem for Taylor and he's 
I guess he just gets to perform stuff whenever he wants. Like he wrote a book about Taylor that we don't really even talk about. I mean, it's referenced that he's going to do a book signing, I guess, at the end of this. But like that book just kind of came and went. Now he's writing poems and Mm -hmm. he's doing a poetry reading and he just gets to Mm -hmm. pop into the same bookstore and do this as much as he wants, I guess. All the ladies are in love with him. But Ryan shows up with his uh, love poem of his own and he writes a shitty poem with good intentions, but he doesn't do it. He starts to read it and then he bails and like says, I'm not doing this. Taylor is able to stop him and grab the poem and finish reading it herself. I just feel like what my first question is, does that invalidate the whole thing that Ryan wouldn't read it publicly? I feel like that kind of does invalidate the whole thing. My other question is, is it uh, that's when we have the scene where Taylor basically says when Henri Michel tells me he loves me, you know, it does things to me that I need in my life or whatever. Not to not to discount her feelings, but um, Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's unfair for her to put that on Ryan basically saying, be in love with me or don't be with me at all after they've been barely dating for like a couple of months, maybe. But do you think that that's she's making a good point that she says, I need to be loved or I need to be alone? I mean, that's a little bit uh, that, that's putting a little bit of pressure on the situation. It's kind of manipulative, I feel like. Big... Not that I'm trying to throw yeah, shit at yeah, Taylor yeah. right now, like she's my favorite. I just feel like the writers have made we this. We know you're a stan. <laughs> um, no, I think I, I think that that's a little harsh, especially since we know we knew coming in that he had trauma. Would you rather have, like, a good poem from someone with just okay intentions, like, whatever, run-of-the-mill intentions, or, like, a shitty poem from someone with the best intentions imaginable? I feel like it's definitely the the latter, right? Like, Ryan's not a poet. That's not his... Like, it'd be like if Henri Michel... It'd be like if he had Henri Michel, like, battle him in a construction off or something, right? <laughs> I can build better A-frames than you, bro. Or like literally, or a cage fight. We know Ryan's a great cage fighter. That's a very easy way. That's an that's an A-B comparison, I feel like. So yeah, he, Ryan's stepping into Henri Michel's territory. Henri Michel does not step into Ryan's territory. So I do give him credit for that, even though he fucking just bails in the middle of the poem. But but the, the thing about it is I think Henri Michel really kind of hit the nail on the head with just dipping and writing a letter to to taylor whenever you said that thing earlier about the meme kid the meme mm -hmm. where the kid disappears i immediately thought that's Uh what Henri michelle did in that moment he really did sorry i love love Mm -hmm. i love love more so that actually brings up kind of a weird question for me so all that furniture and stuff that they bought and everything so that house thing is just like not happening now like how does that work what's the deal do you want to be great if he just kind of lingered and was just like hanging out? He was like pop up in the background of the finale or something. No. Like he, a I, smell. I think he's gone forever. Yeah, it's another great point. That's another thing that just kind of got left on red was like, oh, yeah, he had a house that he put that they bought. But maybe he still lives there. I don't know. <laughs> he's in the house with no furniture. All right. This is the last thing I have. Shay and Seth are in the woods. Seth has his breakthrough moment where he discovers his spirit animal is an otter. I don't care about it. I really don't <laughs> care about this, any of this. But what we do learn that Che, I guess on his own spirit quest, found out that uh, his soulmate's spirit animal is an otter. And this this episode ends with Che. It's like another meme. It's like the Wolverine meme, Wolverine and bad story. It ends with Che staring at a photo of Seth. And if you remember a couple of seasons ago, back when Marissa was still alive, there was that episode where Seth and Marissa were like kind of hanging out a lot. It ended with them sitting on the bench. And we were wondering, like, were they trying to tease like a potential Seth Marissa love story here? Like, was that something they ended that episode with so they could kind of figure out if they wanted to go that direction? And I feel like that could have been the the situation here. Like, I feel like they were 
maybe debating whether or not to have a gay storyline between Che and Seth. Dude, this is this is the third freaking Dorito, I feel like, in this season, is if you would have told me in season one that there was going to be a a a thirty second scene right before the credits of a, a hippie dude that Summer meets in college potentially finding out that Seth Cohen is his soulmate. I'd be dead. No one would be there to till my fields. I don't think so because I think that in, of course, this is probably just kind of misogynistic also, but, um, or opposite of that. I don't know. Just stereotypical. But like a girl can experiment and yep. go back and be straight. Boys aren't but, like a guy can't boys aren't really. Allowed. Boys aren't allowed to do that, you know. Patronalistic? No. I thought was that a Paternalistic. Word? It's paternalistic. No, that just means you're a good dad. Fuck the patriarchy. Burn it to the ground. Shout out to Taylor Swift. All right. That's basically it. That's how this episode ends, is Ryan and Taylor are once again in uncertainty. That's why I didn't really love these two episodes back to back, was because it felt very season two or three, like we're treading water. We're just circling back on the same things over and over again. It's Che and Seth doing overnights again. It's Ryan and Taylor. Unsure if they're going to be together for like the eighth time already. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's no, better. I felt that too. The next episode compensates because of its just wackiness. It's insane. Yeah, well, let's get into it. That's all I have for this episode. Unless you guys have anything else, mm-hmm. we can get into the next. I, one. I have. I want to know what the music moment was. Oh shit, I forgot about that. No, the music moment. Oh, and I the have, fashion moment. I have. Uh, for me, the music moment was "Dear Dear Mr. Supercomputer" by Sufjan Stevens. It was the first song that we hear whenever. Heck yeah. When Che is doing like his tai chi in the living room, and Seth walks in and sees him, and they have. That weird scene where Seth's pretending like he's okay when he's clearly not okay. But shout out to Steve John Stevens. This was actually a pretty deep cut. Wasn't Dear Mr. Supercomputer one of the songs that didn't make um, Chicago or Illinois? I don't know. I've never been that big of a Sufjan fan. He's a little too boring for me. Oh. I respect Sufjan a lot in the same way that I don't respect, like, I think Radiohead's boring and I don't respect them. I think Sufjan's boring, but I do respect him. He's like the guy that shows up at Starbucks, like, with wings on and just whispers everything, like, hey, can I get a, can I get a macchiato? I'm Sufjan Stevens. It's very That's ASMR. Um, it's gonna be Sufjan Stevens. Stop. Um, the fashion moment, though, is Summer has this crazy peace sign Henley on, which I thought was kind of cool. And then, obviously, the band uniforms. Hell yeah. That's what me and uh, Ryan were joking about earlier. Like, they... They have band uh, uniforms in this show very frequently, mm-hmm. and I think it's just because they're they're funny aesthetically. Like they have like the feather <laughs> and you know the the strap kind of goes across like your mouth and chin in, in a weird place. Like they're, they're funny outfits. Was it Summer who dressed up in a band uniform when she was trying to impress like the uh, the the brown person that not the brown person I keep saying that the person <laughs> from Brown who was coming to their school to like yes. scout yeah and Summer yeah. was pretending to be in the marching band yeah Mar- great marching band uniform moments in this show let's move on stop Dylan God this is going directly into my headphones and I hate it uh, let's move on to episode twelve it's called the Groundhog Day. The Groundhog Day features Sandy Cohen on screen for seven minutes and 33 seconds. He's back, baby. Dylan, repeat yourself. In 2007, Groundhog Day took place on January 25th, and we've been stuck in January 25th, 2007 ever since. My God, when will I graduate high school? 3.57 million people uh, experience Groundhog Day, and Mark Fish is the culprit, um, and also an excellent command. I have eight (laughs) questions for you. Um, but before I ask those, I'm going to give you some summaries that I wrote myself. Um, I'm kidding. 
First one from the OC Season 4 Wikipedia page. Ryan tries to act like he doesn't miss Taylor, who is seeing a therapist. Kirsten's turning 40, but has her mind focused on other things. Julie is having an affair that Caitlin does all she can to stop. Che makes a discovery about Seth. All right, let's see what else we can find out about this episode. This is from the official OC wiki. Seth and Che get in some trouble with the police when Che drags Seth into helping him try to free a groundhog before Newport's annual Groundhog Day Festival. Meanwhile, Kirsten gets some life-altering news, and Taylor gets some extra help from a therapist to make things different with Ryan. Wow, those are unhinged. Um, right off the bat, <laughs> this is just kind of a general question. I know how Ryan feels. Chelsea... How did you feel about this episode? I just reveled in the silliness of it, to be honest. Um, it was a bit convoluted. Like, I was kind of... Because didn't, like, three different people wear that costume at different times? Yeah, it was It was a big... It was a mm-hmm. whole Shakespearean weird mistaken identity thing. It was very difficult to write questions for this one. So I only have eight for you all, like I said. <laughs> so right I, out of I the gate... I was going to say, I will, hang on, you skipped me, Dylan. You told us that you didn't I like these episodes. I just wanted to say, I do give this episode props... That in this season, they've gone a little weirder, like obviously with everything. Um, we had a weird New Year's Eve episode with the aliens and stuff. And that we didn't get a, we didn't get a Valentine's Day episode this year or this season, which I was shocked because I really wanted to name an episode bullet for my Valentine, which we don't get to do. <laughs> um, but I do. I'm like, I'm glad that or I, I give them props for trying to change it up a little bit and making a Groundhog's Day episode instead of like a traditional holiday episode. OK, so one of the first kind of big stories that's hinted in and both of these Wikipedia summaries um, of this episode is Kirsten is kind of in a weird place when we start this episode and we find out exactly why it's a weird place by the end of it. I'm not going to spoil it for you because I know that none of you have actually been watching this and you're just listening to us and expecting us to tell you. Um, um, so from the be- very beginning, she she's clearly, she does. It's uh, it predicted it, and if more people would have watched season four, we could have prevented this. From the very beginning of this episode, Kirsten is clearly having a rough time. Something's wrong. She's not doing well. Um, I kind of have a couple questions about it. First of all, is she hiding it well, or do we think Sandy and company are just not paying attention to her? She's not hiding it. She's not hiding it well, but she also hasn't been presenting it in the episodes previous to right now. Like this is the moment when you start realizing something's up with Kirsten. What's going on with her? Um, they 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 think that it's because of her fortieth birthday like looming over. And I feel like this is a question that we asked way back in the first episode ever of this podcast, which is: Is it possible? I guess it is possible, knowing everything we know about this show and the history of these characters, that Kirsten was only. 35 or 36 at the beginning of season one that's god that's true based on the in canon right yeah and they had their 20th wedding anniversary when in season two which means they got married when they were 17 17 or 18 but also kirsten would have had to have had a long relationship with jimmy before that she would have had to have a long relationship with jimmy had a pregnancy scare and an abortion and had a full relationship with Sandy long enough for them to get engaged and married by the time she was 18. Yeah, well, and also, if they their whole thing is they lived in the mail truck and met at Berkeley. Plot holes, man. Man, there are so many plot holes. And now I'm just trying to figure out how old she was when Seth was born. If we assume Seth was 
I mean, 15? I feel like they would have made a bigger deal about him getting like a driver's license. Shout out to Olivia Rodrigo, best new artist. Um, <laughs> I feel like they would have made a bigger deal. Like if he was only 15 in season one, I feel like they were driving in season one, were they not? So he was at least 16. Um, yeah. So she would have been like, I don't know. <laughs> she would have been like very, very young when she had Seth. Okay. I want to talk about another big person in this episode um, is Taylor. And Taylor is also clearly going through some stuff. She made that very clear in the last episode. But she's doing a whole lot of self-work, self-reflection. She's contacted a therapist. She's doing the right stuff. Um, So while the reasoning behind it is sound, I think, therapy is always a good idea. Big fans of therapy here on Keeping Up with the Coens. Um, How do we feel about the actual execution of this kind of self-reflection from Taylor? And I'm talking not just in the beginning of the episode, but throughout the whole thing. I just want to say I'm glad that the show has pivoted to pro therapy versus <laughs> versus <laughs> yeah. Oliver therapy, which we got way back in season mm-hmm. one. Um, I, th- I mean, it's good that Taylor's doing the right thing. She is doing the right thing. She's trying to figure her shit out. But I just I think that the portrayal of therapy in this episode was so bizarre. And I think therapy was still like a foreign concept in most things back in 2007, because like a therapist would never even hang out with you outside of their office, much less drive you to your ex-boyfriend's house and take your stuff to or take him stuff to him they would not get that involved at all ever but uh that's just what the show thought therapy was i guess back then because the i mean the other weird thing about this whole therapist thing is taylor talks about how she read about this therapist and read about her you know she read her studies and she knows what she does and the therapist goes well then you know i'm kind of intense and my methods are kind of unorthodox but it seems to me like so far, they're weird, yes, but they're not unorthodox. Like, her her advice is don't contact this person for a week and return their stuff. I'm just – maybe I'm missing something here, but I thought that was kind of a little bit of a, of a misdirection. That's not even as extreme as hanging out in a sweat lodge to yeah. get reconnected with yourself. Che you is know? the better therapist is what we're trying to <laughs> okay, say. Okay, but here. also maybe – and again, maybe this is too getting too far into the future. Maybe you'll bring this up later, Dylan, but like – Again, it's all for nothing. Because at the end of the episode, they just, Ryan and Taylor just get back together, right? Like, everything's fine. And they're just like, yeah, that was a weird idea. And that's it. Like, there was no point to it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I would argue, and and I mean, we can kind of get into it a tiny bit now. And it is kind of what was the entire point of Taylor's entire mm-hmm. therapy experience. And I think... It's, it's kind of difficult to 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 kind of separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to what ultimately happens, because one could argue that it's simply because of that therapy experience. It's that spending time apart. It's it's kind of that added tension provided a certain amount of clarity for both Taylor and Ryan and allowed them to get back together and allowed them to kind of see through everything by by creating the chaos, you can see what's not chaotic. I think if you choose to look at it that way, then it makes sense. But it, it's not presented to us in that way at all. Yeah, I agree with Ryan. Well, well, <laughs> fine. Let's go to a question that is going to... This has bothered me throughout most of this season. And I've talked about it before. But I feel like something happens in this episode with Julie and Julie's living situation that really makes me want to actually sit down and unpack... What the hell is going on? So Julie is not only living in Neil's house, but she is selling art out of Neil's house and pocketing the money. What is the arrangement with this house? What is going on? I was so confused by that, too. Those aren't her possessions. She does say that that when they're looking at paintings, that I think she says her and Neil and her chose them together. 
or pick them out huh. together maybe i don't know maybe this is what taylor and Henri michelle should have been doing with all their furniture from the house that they're not going to live in <laughs> put them in julie's house or just relisting them yeah that that whole neil's house thing i i almost feel like at this point it's like the writers were like okay we we're sick of having julie in a trailer um we want julie to be back in a big house again how can we make that happen okay well we'll do and some, they yeah. also yeah, and they wanted to, like, keep Summer's dad being ingratiated. But even just, like, a conversation of, like, oh, my daughter has been, uh, you know, she's on leave from school. Um, you know, I she's still young. I don't want her to live by herself. Like, I trust you to be the supervisor and, you know, give her the support she needs. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. like, a quick phone call like that would have gone a long way. But they justified Julie's prostitution ring, Frank does, a few episodes mm-hmm. ago, where he, by saying... He, he like he like cooked the books for her to make them look legit and he hands them back to her and says you know if you this is a good thing you got going on if you keep this up you could pay off that house or you could buy a house something about a house something about her needing a living situation adjustment and um it does seem like the whole neil thing has just been swept under the rug like we are this is now just julie's house i think yeah i i don't even know and and so this next question is kind of in that same vein i'm calling this i guess dylan's whole corner um I mentioned this in the last episode. So Che, we see Che's van and Che's van is freaking sick. And I want a cool van like that. Um, so we're to assume then that he drove to Newport from Rhode Island in that van all on a hunch that he had weird, a weird Seth vibe. But is he not going to school anymore? I didn't even. Th- I forgot. I didn't even think about him going to school. <laughs> I forgot he's still enrolled. <laughs> yeah, I forgot too. he's actually still a student at Brown, allegedly. Um, uh-huh. But as far as the van <laughs> thing, like we, like we said earlier, he's rich. Like he could set this shit up. He could just show up and buy. He could fly in and buy a van if he wanted to. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm just like, you know, the whole. There, it, it almost undercuts or makes worse what he did to Summer because he's like, I'm going to get you kicked out of school so I don't get kicked out of school, but then I'm not even going to go to school. Instead, I'm going to think that I'm in yeah. love with your boyfriend. Is that cool? Okay, great. It's I just, don't even like school that much. I'd rather I'd rather hang out in Newport over here. Let's see what's happening. It's just, just that's such, just more of the weird like turns and plot twists that this show has taken in season four that don't really make sense that we're like, oh yeah, Jay is a student. And oh yeah, Che is also rich. Like I'm going to come back to that. Like it's something that is we are. It's the knowledge that we're given, and then it never ever comes up again. I mean, to me, what's clearly going on is that they probably they probably did only hire him to be in a few episodes, and they thought that like whenever Summer got kicked out of Brown would be the last of him. But I bet he earnestly was really fun to have on set. And I bet at the time the cus- like the I said the customers, um, the viewers probably all really liked it. So I you know when you hear that happening all the time, they bring in someone just for a bit part, and because they're such a hit, they just keep writing and writing. And I think that that's for sure what happened with Che. Well, okay. So this question we talked about Caitlin and about Bullet as a father figure in the last episode, mm-hmm. and I kind of want to take that idea and 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 go back to the beginning. Of, of, of kind of the larger idea, which is the emails. So mm-hmm. what we find out in this episode is that after Bullet left and went to Dubai, he and Julie um, didn't really talk. He didn't realize that, though, because he was still getting emails from Julie that were written by Caitlin. Um, so knowing Caitlin's mm-hmm. MO, why do we think she started emailing Bullet? And did her motives change over time? 
First of all, when you said her emails, I thought you were talking about Hillary Clinton for like a half a second. Butter emails. <laughs> um, it's because she's just personality-wise, she's just like Julie. She's very scheming. Um, she she liked Gordon, you know. She liked the idea of stability. She got along with him. Um, she liked the you know that he's a billionaire. Like she just there's a lot about him that she found attractive, and she was like, I know better than my mom in this moment, and I'm gonna you know intervene. I like that you call him Gordon. It's like when you call Bolchek Kevin. I'm like, Ugh, who are these people? <laughs> um, I think it, she is her mother's daughter in the sense that she sees money and she is very into it and she wants that money. Like she wants, but I do think there's a layer beyond that where she actually does like the bullet. She gets along with him. She thinks he's really fun. He's funny. She brings up how funny he is in multiple episodes of the season. And I do think that she really wants him to be her stepdad. 50% for the money, but 50% because she genuinely enjoys him. The more interesting part of this is on Julie, when we have to stop and think about the journey that Julie has been on over the course of this series. And is she is Julie now in a place where she is choosing what's best for her daughter over herself? Is she choosing to consider Bullet as a husband because that's what Caitlin wants and not what she wants, which I think is a big kind of arc for Julie for where she started at the beginning of the season where she didn't give a shit about what anyone wanted but herself. I like that a lot. I want to break down kind of the third biggest thing, notwithstanding Kirsten's news, which is what I'm saving. The third big thing that happens in this episode, and it's the Chuck theft, the groundhog theft, the whole groundhog subplot. I want to break down this actual theft situation because as we said at the beginning, it was very confusing. I don't know what's going on. I can kind of tell you all what I think happened and tell me if I'm wrong or not. No, this ha- this definitely has like Sandy and Matt running the Newport group season three energy where I'm just like, oh, I yeah. don't know what's happening here. Okay, so right out of the gate, it initially starts off as Che kind of turning it into a, I might love this this man. I might love Seth. He might be my soulmate. I need to spend more time with him to figure it out. And so he kind of turns it into a, hey, man, let's go steal this groundhog so I can figure out if you're my soulmate, is what he's saying internally. Um, so they go, uh, they get together. Seth gets another opportunity to be stealth. Um, it's actually a really kind of fun planning scene. There's grappling hooks involved. There's rappelling. Um, and they end up stealing him, but then they get locked on the roof and uh, they get caught. So that's kind of the first part of of the of the chuck heist the part that i think gets really freaking confusing is when chuck actually goes to the event and he's stolen there so are we supposed to believe that there was another secret group that was trying to liberate the groundhog at the same time is that what the story is what no dylan no that's not no. what yeah that's summer, not what i summer got stole chuck Okay, so, <laughs> but then I'm okay. Seriously, I'm that because that was my other question was, guys, I fell right into this. Okay, let me try. To, I, let me try to explain it to you because it is confusing, and I think oh. I understand it. So they get caught. Chuck is returned. He is back where he's supposed to be. And there's a scene where Che calls Summer from jail, which is crazy, to to help to tell her that because Summer keeps saying, "Don't get me involved. Don't get me involved." So Che calls Summer and says, well, we're in jail. And Summer, he pulls on her heartstrings as far as groundhogs go. She's like, okay, I guess I'll get involved. 
Summer goes pretending to be a newspaper journalist and talks to some lady Mm -hmm. backstage at the Groundhog and and she figures out who is supposed to be on stage, right? Do you remember? There's the scene where she's like, so who's on stage? The mayor, some police officers, two people in Groundhog's costumes. And then Summer, it specifically shows the cute girl in the groundhog costume as she, as that in that scene she's like putting on the helmet to like walk away or something and then there's the fake news break of the person in the groundhog costume stealing the groundhog and running away and then we see the hot groundhog girl get taken to jail che meets her realizes that his soulmate was not an otter but it was actually a groundhog which they don't even look similar to me and then later <laughs> When they're all in Summer's room, Seth comes in, Summer's there, Che and the Groundhog Girl are there, and Summer apologizes to the Groundhog Girl by saying, like, I'm sorry that you got arrested for me doing that, because somehow this costume got switched again, and that girl got arrested even though it was Summer that took the Groundhog. Okay. Boom. It was definitely intentional, though, that wow. the hot Groundhog Girl looked like Summer, but, correct? But, okay, but, like... This is where I get so confused. Well, just so, imagine again, this is another situation where just imagine what I said and you play that to someone who's only seen season one, they're going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's another- yeah, they're, yeah, they're not, it, it was really convoluted. I mean, you're right. It was very Shakespearean convoluted. Well, because here, here's where I got confused. Okay. I got confused the moment the arrested person wasn't Summer because like if they would have just left it at oh, a, a woman has stolen the groundhog and she's still at large. Like, I would have totally understood what was going on. But okay, mm-hmm. so so Summer, I guess, steals the groundhog. They can identify her because at some point she has her mask off. But like, the, the whole arresting the wrong person thing confuses me so much. At some point, that girl got arrested for stealing the groundhog in costume even though it was summer who stole the groundhog in costume which i guess in my brain does make sense and that's why at the end of the episode summer gives them the groundhog in the cage like as a gift oh mm-hmm. in my the, the story that i wrote in my head which i mean with all due respect to mark fish i gotta say i liked the idea of that other summer look-alike wanting secretly to also free the groundhog and doing it therefore making her even more attractive to che and Summer did not get involved. That would have made too much sense, Dylan. That's true. That's true. Okay. So that's the big groundhog situation um, that I now understand 20% more than I did. So now I'm at 20%, 21%, excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. So I have uh, I have one kind of garbage question. Can't wait. Um, and, then, and then one kind of serious question. And my garbage question is just truly another Dylan doesn't understand corner question. So... At the end of the last episode, Ryan and Taylor clearly broke up. I think that that was pretty explicit. It was pretty clear. I know the show has issues with breakups. So it was pretty explicit that they broke up. I'm confused then why Ryan is now curious and questioning whether or not they broke up. Did I miss something or what in the world is going on here? I'm letting Chelsea take it. I agree with Ryan where he was saying that these episodes are frustrating because it just didn't seem like we got any movement in either of their relationships, it was still them just treading water like and like riding day. on the Peloton over and over again. Yeah, it's Groundhog Day. <laughs> I know day. it's so strange. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like I've seen another movie that had the same plot line on the same holiday. Live, die, repeat. Um, I, I could have used a few more. Um, Pensatucky Phil, P- Pensatucky. What's his name? What do they Punxsutawney. call him? Punxsutawney Phil. 
Puxatawney. Pensatucky is the Pensacola one with film. no teeth in um in <laughs> Orange is the New Black. Well, it, it, well this, Orange is the New Black. It, this cast. just makes the other storyline more convoluted because at one point Taylor is also wearing the groundhog costume, which we don't really figure out where that came from. And then she runs away from Ryan because she's embarrassed and she's just like laying in her bed alone. And I guess, I guess Ryan seeing her trying to spy on him is enough for Ryan to know that she still is very into him and he needs to let her know how he feels on some level. So he shows up and pretends to stalk her in like a kind of cute way, I guess. And they are just magically back together and everything's fine now. I did think that was sweet. Like he found that that quirk of hers to be endearing that he was like, oh, she crazy Taylor is coming back for me. Okay, but it it kind of just completely (laughs) derails and invalidates all of the therapy stuff that Taylor was doing. Right. Like I said earlier, like she does all this stuff Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's just like out the window because they're back together and she's still stocky. (laughs) I, uh. Okay, my last question is about the last big thing that happens in this episode. Well, there's another kind of little big thing, but the biggest thing um, is Kirsten's news. And I did this whenever Ryan was figuring out his uh, his internet situation, his microphone situation. I feel like it. I really enjoyed doing it, so I'm going to do it again. Rather than tell you all what happened, I'm going to let you experience it as only Mark Fish can write it. And I'm going to read the dialogue. You need to read Sandy. it. You need to not read it in a shitty way on purpose to make it seem worse, which is what you did earlier. You, I can't do imitations. I'm going to read it just like Siri. Sandy, is everything okay? Kirsten, I went to the doctor. Sandy, are you sick? Kirsten, yes, but only, only in, in the, the mornings. mornings. Air horns. <laughs> I fell for the fake out the first time I watched this. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Because didn't didn't Kirsten's mom um, die of breast cancer or something like that? Or was it alcoholism? She died of being sick in the mornings. She died of morning sickness. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so. Also, what a freaking misnomer. As a pregnant person myself, I can tell you, morning sickness happens all day long. I've been having yeah, morning yeah. sickness, M-O-U-R-N, ever since we left Luke. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, might be, that might be the episode title right there, morning sickness with an O-U. Morning. <laughs> Um, so I liked that. Or um, uh, what would we say? Gay adjacent. <laughs> gay, gay adjacent. We would get a lot of weird clicks. Um, so my question after that rousing reading of Mark Fish's stellar dialogue um, was, and Chelsea kind of hinted at this. What was the mood? I mean, how did people feel about this? I just, I mean, I wasn't like, I wasn't part of. Um, <laughs> like the OC connected universe back then. But I remember just kind of know because we knew by this point the show was ending. Like I knew by this point there were only like two weeks or three yeah, weeks left of the There were show. petitions like there were petitions circulating on MySpace and Zanga at the time. We even had Facebook barely at that point. And the CW like almost picked up the OC when Fox was about to cancel it. Um that like came oh. very, very close to happening. But at this point, it had not happened, and we knew the OC was ending. And to me, it just felt like, oh, this is how they're going to give Sandy and Kirsten their happy ending when the show ends, is that the kids are probably going to go off and do their own thing, but they're going to have some new kid here. So good for them. I mean, Kirsten, as we just learned, is only 40 years old, so it's not at all out of the realm of possibility. It's like a Bible pregnancy. Good job, Kirsten. (laughs) There's this whole subplot where Sandy's trying to track down the perfect 40th birthday gift, and he's like planning some event. He's like planning some event. At the yacht club that we never even see, 
Um, but he tracks down. First of all, he gives her round. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Round the world plane tickets, just you and me. So are that is that just one ticket that will take you everywhere in the world? Like I didn't understand yes. what that was. But um, <laughs> they're flying from New York to L.A. the other way. Yeah, but like, or is it just a plane ticket that will allow you to go anywhere, just like one trip? But anyway, he also. I guess tracks down and buys a mail truck. Is that what we're led to believe? Because what the fuck do they ever do with that after that moment? <laughs> it's a really expensive gimmick. I don't know. What do they do with it? Park it in fucking Neil's garage, I guess. I don't know. Do a food truck. Chelsea. Chelsea's died. so tuned out. She has nothing not- to say about anything. No, I just thought these episodes were kind of weird. It was just hard to like make good commentary on. Um, like normally my notes are really, really full, but this time I was kind of like, well, this episode was weird. Well, then I have a question specifically for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. What was the set. outfit of the episode? Oh, I have that down. Um, I really, really liked Caitlin's cabbie hat. I know the obvious answer is that rotating gopher costume, but I was like, no, that's dumb. I don't want to talk about that. It's not the obvious answer, by the way. That was the left field answer. So <laughs> Yes, it is. Uh- Oh, it was like a, she wore this like beanie that had a, a lip on or like a rim on it. A lip. I don't know. I just thought it was funny because I, I worked at PacSun at the time and we sold a gajillion of those and some people could pull them off really well. Some people really couldn't. And she's one of the people who can't good. And it was a nice throwback to Marissa because Marissa really had a thing for hats. I was just okay. going to say that I have never been, I, I was never a hat person. I was occasionally a visor person because I had an afro that would pull through it. But the few times I ever tried to wear a beanie, I got the build beanies because that's what I was used to. <laughs> Ryan was an SSX tricky character when that's he right. was in high school. And that's I right. love it. Yeah. I Okay, hold on. Chelsea, you brought up something. I almost wrote this as a question, but I didn't because I thought it'd be too stupid. But something you just said proved that maybe it wouldn't be. I'm trying to figure out how many different woodland animals are in these two episodes because we have a groundhog. We have an otter and mm-hmm. gopher costume. Those were supposed to be groundhog costumes. Were those gopher costumes? Those were groundhogs. Were they, were they beaver costumes? Those were groundhogs. freaking animals? I just don't understand how... I think groundhogs and otters don't even really look that similar, so I don't understand they how... They don't. I thought, ground, I thought groundhogs and gophers were the same animal, so... Are they like it just depends on where they are? Like it's a groundhog, <laughs> if it's in the ground, it's a gopher, if it's on the go actually you know what i'm looking up photos of groundhogs and otters and they do look pretty similar i'm lying that they do look yeah they're both just they're like cute little rodents yeah. um they're like on the cuter side rather than scary yeah, they don't have the teeth well okay why why do they call it gopher trapping like in parent trap whenever they put the string all over and like booby trap their room why is that gopher trapping because if you're, cause if you're in the woods and you need to survive you set a trap like that to get a gopher and you can eat it that's how the Yellow Jackets oh, okay. girls survived. They ate gophers. <laughs> yeah. That's right, actually. Yeah, only the only gophers, yeah. nothing else. Mm, gopher meat. Um, okay, <laughs> Ryan, I have a question specifically for you. I don't want it. What was your favorite music moment? Oh, um, there was some actually good music moments in this episode. I love the Of Montreal in the beginning. Of Montreal was a, that's not the moment, but Of Montreal was just and actually the same. I had the music moment was Lazy Eye by Silverson Pickups, and yeah. I feel like Of Montreal and Silverson Pickups were both very different sounding bands but they were both very popular for like a short amount of time and silvers and pickups in particular were to me like poised to be like a big fucking massive band like they weren't even like an indie rock band they were like just a rock and roll band and for some reason they just Mm -hmm. never really took off they had lazy eye which was a big hit for them and then they just disappeared one hit wonders baby i uh they just disappeared 
<laughs> that you're right, Ryan. That is scary. I apologize. Yeah. I um I, I'm adding a sequence to this episode, which is called a poster um, of the episode, and in this case, it goes to the Daphne Loves Derby poster um, that was hanging in Caitlin's room. So wow. she now listens to that. officially. Two bands that uh, I listened to religiously in high school, college, uh, law school, and still. Yep, Under Oath, <laughs> baby, a boy, bro- and then Daphne loves Derby. That's a good. That's a good band. I listened to them back when they were on Pure Volume. Um, you kids don't understand that listening, but that's all that I have for this episode. Except, psych, I wanted to trick you all, just like we were tricked, because we get one more secret scene in the last episode. It was Che looking. Longingly at a picture of Seth. In this episode, Mm -hmm. we find out that Julie's secret love that is keeping her from biting the bullet is, in fact, (laughs) Frank. It's Frank. He's back, baby. He's disappeared. It's uh, Hercules. (laughs) But now he's back. Yeah. Dylan, did that shock you? Um, Or not really? Not really. I figured he had just been sitting in his hotel room for the last three episodes, (laughs) um, but it was nice to see it confirmed on screen. Whenever Julie was talking about, like, talking, see, having any secret, like, phone conversations, did you, who did you think she was talking to? Do you think it was Frank? Honestly, I thought it was Spencer. Oh, interesting. I thought it it was Spencer, Mm -hmm. um, even up until I saw Frank, um, simply because, like, we saw Spencer more. um, Yeah. And also, because that would be... That would be a very interesting Julie storyline. Like if when Bullet left, um, she's had the old bull and now she wanted the young calf. And like she just got in with Spencer oh, instead. Yuck. I mean, it's not that far off. Spencer is really hot. I don't know what actor. I don't know what his name is, but he is. Yeah, really he clearly really? went to jaw school. Jawsome. <laughs> Jawsome. <laughs> Wait, you think Spencer's really hot? Yeah. Really? I don't see oh, it yeah. at all. Oh, yeah. I think he's foxy. He's got... Mm-hmm. He's like an uglier Schmidt. Schmidt? No! He's New- like buff, and he's no. tall. He's Smit. <laughs> <laughs> or he's Shmee. <laughs> Shmee Skywalker. There we go. We're going to tie it all together. All right. Are we done? Will we be done? We're done. All right. Well, listen. I, do we need to keep saying these things at the end? Because we're... Di- like, by the time this episode comes out, we will be done recording and presumably checking reviews and emails and all that stuff. But I'll say it anyway. Uh, that's it for this episode of Keeping Up with the Coens. We only have two more, two more weeks of this. Boy, I can't wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the meantime, if you do want to reach out, um, we'll be done recording by the time you do, by the time you hear this, but maybe we'll find, maybe we'll find it. You can reach us online through email or Instagram on Instagram at CoensPod, C-O-H-E-N-S-P-O-D, or through email, CoensPod at gmail.com. And maybe you're hearing this five years in the future maybe it's like 2029 and you're like oh i just discovered the oc and i want to watch along and oh here's this podcast and you still want to leave a review dylan how can they do that probably well probably um first of all emerge from out um of your bomb shelter uh go out to the surface it won't take you too long to actually write the review as soon as i as Um, soon as i started imagining someone in the future (laughs) i was like i'm setting dylan up with too much creative control here yeah no it's just we know now in 2029 that you can survive outside of your bomb shelter without your suit on for at least five minutes, which is more than enough time for you to access the government-run Wi-Fi and write us an amazing five-star review, or even just give us a five-star rating um, if you have young children with you on the surface. Um, but we really appreciate it. And remember, 
get down there before your five minutes are up because we don't want to have any more mutations this cycle. And uh, we love you all. Anything else, Chelsea, before we go? Is that it? Well, you know, we were joking about and not doing reviews and stuff while you're listening to it, but there's been a lot of shows that had like a, I don't want to say posthumous because I very much hope and believe that the three of us are still we're here. We're very humus. But Wait, over, posthumous. Over, um... <laughs> Posthumous. Posthumous. <laughs> what the fuck, Chelsea? You're gonna have to air horn me again. After, oh, after um, humans starring Will Smith. <laughs> but like during COVID, everyone was uh, rewatching shows, so a lot of rewatch podcasts like grew even more popular than they were when they were live. Well, prayers so up, prayers knows? up for They're another like... um, for another <laughs> pandemic. So we are ready to go. Prayers up. up, dicks up for Harambe. Make us the Emily Dickinson of podcasts. We love you and good night. Bye.